This morning, Scripture, Romans, the 10th chapter, verses 5 through 13. Same passage, basically, we went over last week. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that a person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we come to a very familiar passage of your words, a beautiful passage, Lord God. And, And Father, we know that this passage is used so often to bring people to faith in you. Lord God, let us look at it afresh. We pray that your Holy Spirit would touch our hearts and minds as we go through this portion of Scripture, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would give me your words. May they not be of me, but be of you for your people. And we ask that you be glorified through everything that I say, for it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we looked at a lot of this last week, and and I want to begin this morning by rehashing, if you will, some fundamental principles of salvation because even though they're fundamental and we all know them and we all can recite them at different times in our lives we have a tendency to revert we have a tendency to revert back to what seems right and I warn you that what seems right to us is not right with respect to God And the problem that we have is this sentence, salvation comes through righteousness. Salvation comes through righteousness. Everyone knows that, but that becomes a stumbling stone so many times. It's definitely a stumbling stone to unbelievers, and at different times it becomes a stumbling stone to believers as well. Since and because salvation comes through righteousness, there exists in everyone a difficulty in understanding true Christianity. That difficulty revolves around from where the righteousness comes. And it is a battle. And I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm not telling you it's something that we can ever put behind you because just when you think you've got it beaten down, it will rear its ugly head and come back up and try to threaten you once again. So either that righteousness comes from someone or something else outside of us, which is a foreign righteousness, or it comes from within us. Those are our two choices. Either the righteousness that ends in salvation comes from something outside of us or from something within us. 
Now, hopefully, you all, as you sit there and as you hear this, can say, we know where it comes from. Scott, you're being silly for bringing this up. But yet, at the same time, even though we say that, whenever we actually apply it in our lives, we have a tendency to revert back because it's our fallen nature. It's what we do. That foreign righteousness is a righteousness that can be imputed to us, given to us, freely through faith. The other righteousness, as I said, is based upon what we do, how good of a person we can be. Perhaps the most difficult thing for us to remember and understand and to continue to remember and understand, is that we are saved because of faith in Christ Jesus. His righteousness, not our own. But yet that just doesn't seem right. There seems to be something that we need to do because we're doers. Because that's how we live our lives. But yet we know that we're not saved because of what we do. But yet it keeps coming back time and time again. And you hear me say it often, and I say it often because it's a big deal. And I want you to get it, and I want it seared into your minds so that in those moments when you're asking yourself, did I do this or did I not do that? Because my salvation relies on it. I want you to say that's a foolish thought. Because you didn't buy your salvation. Your salvation was bought for you through Christ. And it is faith in Him that saves you. We're not saved because we come to church this morning. You're not saved because you were baptized. You're not saved because you were born into a Christian home. You're not saved because you help your neighbors more than your neighbor helps other people. Nah. It's going to get you nowhere. Nothing. It'll give you no help in the overall scheme of salvation. And as I've said many times, those things are beautiful things. They're things that we should aspire to do, right? Come to church. Be baptized. Help your neighbor. Give of your time. Do those things because they are wonderful things. Don't do them to assure yourself salvation because it won't work. Even those things, even those things, as good and as beautiful as they are, they're stained. They're stained by impure motives. No matter how much you want to give, there is something impure within all of us that gets in the way of that no matter what it is there is a thought look at me and look at what I'm doing for you God there is no purity in what we do and that should show us that we can't do anything to gain our salvation as a matter of fact unbelievers can do as good a job if not better than believers at those things that I talked about. They can volunteer their time. They can help their neighbors. They can do all of those things. 
So what's the difference? What's the difference? Unbelievers cannot see those impure motives, right? When they do something and they get credit for it, they think they're good people. I'm a good person. God's going to understand. Look at the hours that I volunteer. Look at the money I give this charity or that charity. Look at all these wonderful things that I do. And it ends there with an unbeliever. It stops right there. But believers go a step further. Believers know that underneath that facade of doing good is an impure heart. Is a heart that still battles sin, that is a heart that still battles jealousy, is a heart that still battles for attention or some place in this world. They know that there's a war going on underneath because we can see ourselves for who we truly are. Because we compare ourselves with Christ. So there's a difference. The good things that we do are done and accomplished by believers and unbelievers alike. It's just that Unbelievers think that that's the end. Believers know the reality of the impurities that are in our hearts and that continue to be in our hearts. Now, I'm not saying that Christians should be devoid of good works. John tells us that we will be known by our fruit. Fruit. That's how we know whether we're saved. But there's a big distinction there. Huge distinction. It's just fruit. It's not salvation. And I want you to understand that. And I want you to be able to see that. If you have no fruit, if your life is substantially the same it was as it was before you knew Christ, John says you're probably not a believer. It's a facade out there for all the world. Chances are you're not saved. But you've got to remember that different people produce different fruit also. So you may look at the fruit in your life and think, I don't see that type of fruit. Well, different trees produce different fruit, obviously. And the fruit in my life is not going to be the identical to the fruit in your life and vice versa. But you just have to remember and constantly keep telling yourself that that fruit doesn't save. It's just evidence that you're saved. That's all that it is. But yet, many people, many knowledgeable people, when they get to the end of this life and they see that finish line, just on the horizon will revert back and say, I've tried to live a good life. I've tried to go to church. I've tried to do all these things. As if to say, that's what saves them. They know better, but it is a sudden reversion into what I'm doing is making a difference in my standing with God, and that's not the case. And so that's why I beat this drum so hard is I don't want us to revert back to that. I want you, whenever we see that finish line just over the horizon, to say, I believe in Christ Jesus and I know what he done for me. End of story. That's it. 
It doesn't matter what we try to do. We don't add or take away anything from what Christ did for us. Because whenever we look at what we did, then we, that's what we're doing. We're demeaning what Christ did for us. So that's the confusion and that's the difficult part of that. And I don't say this to demean what people say whenever they reach that point in their lives. I'm just saying they know they're saved by faith. They know what the gospel is all about. Yet something within us all makes us want to go back and say, I've been good, or I've done good things, or I'm not as bad as that guy, right? But I don't want us to do that. I want us to move forward and glorify Christ at all times in the process. What we've done is merely evidence of our salvation. That's all it is. It's not the foundation of our salvation. And I want you to know and understand that. A true Christian has an overwhelming reality that we can never do enough to gain our salvation. And that's the pointer to Christ. That's when we recognize our failures in the fight. And that's where we realize that it is only Christ that did enough to save us. You've got to understand, you may say that I'm splitting hairs here, but I'm really not. Because these hairs that may be called hairs are critical. Because it's a difference in being saved by faith in what Christ did for us and failing to be saved at all based upon what we think we've done to deserve it or not done to deserve God's judgment. So out, without this understanding, we not only steal the glory from Christ, but we condemn ourselves. When we look back and think of what we've done good to justify our salvation, not only do we steal glory from Christ, but we condemn ourselves in the process. That's why it's it's of paramount importance that we get this right and we understand this. And as we look at this morning's passage, Paul is demonstrating the exact idea that I've just been talking about. Last week we looked at how he went back into the Old Testament and he inserted Christ in those verses and passages to demonstrate the righteousness that it took to gain salvation was accomplished by faith in Christ, not by us keeping the law. It's easy, and that was last week's message. It's easy because we don't have to do it. Christ did it for us. We don't have to keep chasing our tail, so to speak. When we believe in Christ, we have faith in Christ, what he did for us is imputed to us. He paid the debt for us so that we would not have to. We are righteous because of what Christ did for us, not because of what we do for ourselves or what we did. Now remember, Paul is attempting to demonstrate that the Jews were not saved because they kept the law. And they were very good at keeping the law. Very, very good at keeping the law. That's what they lived their lives for. But yet he's saying, doesn't work. They were not successful in their effort. And he was telling them that if anyone is saved, it is because of faith in Christ 
who was able to perfectly keep the law. And so he's taken this idea that salvation was only for the Jews, and he's blowing it up. Saying salvation's for everyone, anyone and everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ. The open invitation, and that's the point that Paul was making. Not only was it for believing Jews, but also for believing Gentiles. Remember in chapter 9, Paul told us that the, the Jews sought righteousness and salvation through their own righteousness. But it was futile. They couldn't find it. And it was always a point is, why do you think you're going to find it and you don't really even seek it, but you're going to find it based on what you're doing when the Jews sought it earnestly and couldn't find it? The Gentiles found it through a belief in Christ and only through a belief in Christ whenever they weren't looking for it. So we're going to look primarily this morning at verses 9 and 10. But before we do that, I want to go back and rehash a couple of verses from last week because it kind of sets them up. But the righteousness based on faith says, verse 8, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, and here he inserts Christ. That is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. And we talked about ascending into heaven. The bringing Christ down was him taking on human form and coming to earth. And then him ascending from the abyss was Christ being resurrected from the dead. But what does it say here, verse 8? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. And then he adds to this Deuteronomy 30 passage, that is, the word of faith that we, can, we proclaim. So the word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. So keep those two things in mind as we transition into verse 9. In your mouth and in your heart. And he continues on this theme. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. These two verses are extremely powerful verses. They are very common verses in evangelism. You can go back. Billy Graham quoted these passages many, many times at at, uh, any number of his large gatherings. And this is known as the Roman road to salvation. And you can look at these as benign words, but there's a lot to these words. There's a lot of importance as well as a lot of thinking about these words that needs to be done. So I hope you can see the transition from verse 8 where he's talking about and he's quoting Deuteronomy 30. The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. And then in verse 9 when he's talking about what happens in our hearts and what comes out of our mouths. So he's saying that Deuteronomy 30 points directly to Jesus and points directly to faith in Christ, not of any works that we do or don't do. So we believe in our hearts what is true about Christ and confess with our mouths that truth. So that's the important point. That's the salvific point here. Notice that this requirement has nothing to do with keeping the law. It has nothing to do with being good to your neighbor, coming to church, being baptized. Nothing whatsoever. It's not mentioned. 
Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, I will argue that all those things that I mentioned is wrapped up in this, and they're part of this, but you don't see them. They're not a requirement of this. Not only does it not tell us that we have to keep the law, it doesn't say anything about ethnicity. It doesn't say anything about you have to be a Jew to be saved, or you have to be a Gentile to be saved, or you have to be an American or an African, or nothing to do with ethnicity whatsoever. Anyone who does this will be saved. It's that simple. It's God's open invitation. As long as you believe in your heart, What's true about Christ, you will be saved because what you say in your mouth will reflect that. It doesn't mean that you just believe and not say anything. Nor does it mean that you just say it and don't believe it in your heart. You can attempt to do both of those, right? Especially the latter. But Paul uses the word confess and it's not a word he just threw in there haphazardly now I've heard people say if you say with your mouth and believe in your heart or say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead you shall be saved that is a horrible horrible mischaracterization of this passage because it takes nothing to say something confess is a whole different ball game and word than merely saying you think you're going to say Jesus is Lord and you're going to bind him into salvation that's not going to happen that will not happen God and salvation is not a check mark that you can mark off and gain it he doesn't operate that way that's why Paul uses the word confess here instead of just say with your mouth the word confess implies there's a truth to it implies that you believe in your heart so if you're truly confessing you are speaking truth that is reflected by the words you speak what's in your heart now people will use the term sometimes false confession it's a misnomer it doesn't exist a false confession is a lie pure and simple Because if it's truly a confession, it is true, and it reflects what is inside your heart, plain and simple. So don't think that you're going to be able to say that Jesus is Lord, and lie about it, and not mean it, and fool God, and make it into heaven. Not going to happen. It's not the way that it works. So Paul uses the word confess here in a very detailed way in a very critical way the confession from the mouth arises out of and because of the heart's true belief it's the only way that it happens it's the only way that you can truly confess the mouth confesses what the heart believes Luke 6 45 the words of Christ, the good person out of good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. 
So when you, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that comes from your heart. It's not a superficial lie or belief. So it's easy to fake this, right? You can fake it. You can say all the correct words or what you believe is correct. But it is God that knows the desires of our hearts. And it's what reflects our eternity, basically. So what does the heart believe? What does the heart believe when it believes God raised Jesus from the dead? That Jesus is Lord. So by believing that God raised Jesus from the dead, it's also believing that Jesus is the Lord, and you are going to express that with your mouth it starts in the heart it naturally flows from your mouth you cannot make yourself confess if your heart doesn't believe it again go back to the term of confession there are people that so-called confess to things given different circumstances that's why they don't let law enforcement beat confessions out of people because It's not a confession. It's a lie. So again, you can't confess to something you don't believe in your heart because otherwise it's a lie. The confession only comes out as truth. So the only time you can confess that Jesus is Lord is if you believe it truly in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So I hope you see that and I hope you can understand it because it's critically important. You can't just get by and cover this scripture by saying, oh yeah, well, Jesus is Lord, I'm good to go. It does not work that way. Because then it becomes a works type situation. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So you see the combination of the two. They're sort of one and the same, even though they're broken down by Paul into two separate acts, a belief in the heart and a confess with the mouth. It's one act that comes and naturally flows from the heart. The Greek word that Jesus is Lord is kurios, which means Jehovah. You see that term reference meaning God in, in the Old Testament, Yahweh. So you can't be saved if you don't believe Jesus is God and that God raised him from the dead and confessed that he is Lord because part of that confession that he is Lord is believing that he is God. Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There will be no dishonor from God by believing in Jesus Christ. There's absolutely nothing to worry about. That's the test. Whenever you get to that point in your life and you know the end is just at the horizon... The question isn't, what have I done with my life, or or how much good have I done? Does it outweigh how much bad? No, that's not the question. The question is, do I believe that Jesus is Lord, and what he did for me paid my sin debt in full? That's the question. 
And if I ask those people that question, absolutely. There's no doubt in their minds. That's the proper question to ask because he will not put those to shame. There will be no judgment for those who believe on Christ Jesus. Nothing to worry about. Verse 12. Here again, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Paul goes back and he's saying the Jews aren't any better off than the Greeks or the the Gentiles. That the invitation is open to everyone regardless of your ethnicity. It has nothing to do with ethnicity and everything to do with faith in Christ Jesus. God is Lord of all and he bestows riches on all who do what? All who believe or call upon him, I should say. Salvation is open to everyone who calls upon him. Now, what is this riches of which Paul is speaking? God's riches are not silver and gold. And yet there is a huge group of evangelicals that will argue this with you. But I will tell you, I'm as confident as it is I'm in a reality here this morning. God's riches are not silver and gold of this world. His riches are the beauty that he presents for us. Contentment, peace, joy, the fruits of the Spirit that we know in Galatians 5. Those are his riches that are way more valuable than that silver and gold that moths eat and rust decays. Those are the riches of God, the things that you can't purchase, the things that aren't tangible, the things that only flow through him that peace and joy and contentment are only from him these riches come from knowing that you're forgiven knowing that you don't have to work for your salvation that it was bought and paid for by Christ Jesus and knowing that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of Christ the joy we find in him each and every day those are the riches that Paul is speaking of in this, in this passage. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What a beautiful passage. It opens the invitation for absolutely everyone. Now we know based upon what we've looked at in Romans 9 that it's a little bit more complicated than just that. But I promise you, as sure as I'm sure of God's word being true, if you call upon his name, you will be saved. He's not going to go back and turn anyone away. The question that we've looked at over the past few months is, what does it take for you to call upon his name? We don't do that without his help. But there's beauty, so much beauty in this passage that he turns no one away, that all you have to do is call upon his name and you will be saved. And that heart will turn into the belief that God raised him from the dead, the belief that he is Lord, and you won't be able to control your tongue because you will share that with others. That's the reality of salvation, folks. And what a beautiful passage it is and how often and many times it's quoted and quoted But as I said, it's an important distinction between saying Jesus is Lord and confessing that Jesus is Lord. 
Because the difference is eternity. The difference is the condition of your heart. So if you're just saying it, then you need to look at the condition of your heart so that you can confess it. Because we know here, if it is your desire to truly confess it, call upon his name, he will not turn you away, and you will be saved. Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for these beautiful words that Paul penned so many years ago, Father, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead, that we shall be saved. Father God, help us to be able to keep straight in our minds what salvation is made of. That it's not based upon what we do or what we don't do, but it's based upon what Christ did. That it is our faith in Jesus Christ that gives us eternal life. And yes, Lord, you call us to be more Christ-like every day of our salvation. And we pray for your help in doing that. But let us always remember that that's fruit of our salvation. That's not the root of our salvation. Lord, it's so easy to, to fall back into that line of thinking that I have to do this or I'm not going to be saved. Forgive us for that, Lord, because when we do that, we know that we steal Christ's glory. He did everything for us. Give us the courage and strength to always have our thoughts straight when we look at our salvation and that we glorify no one other than Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father, and we ask that you help us to apply this to our lives each and every day. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.